Take out your Bible, opening once again to John's Gospel, chapter 1. John chapter 1 this morning. I remind you as we are now in the third week of our sermon series, taking us through the Gospel of John, that John has a specific purpose for which he's writing, specific for each and every one of us this morning. We've got to go to the end of the book to find it, but in John chapter 20, verse 31, he tells us, I write these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And we talked about that in our opening sermon a couple of weeks ago. And here's the, here's the struggle every one of us faces. As I look around the room this morning, all of us have just enough church background. Now, some of us have a, a vast church background, but for everyone in the room, have just enough of a church background. You've grown up in a Christian home. You've grown up around the gospel. We all have a certain familiarity with Jesus, with this Jesus of Nazareth, with who he is. In our sleep, every one of us could say certain right things about Jesus. But that's not what John is talking about here. That's not John's purpose. In fact, one of the things John is going to tell us is that even Satan and the demons know the very things we know about Jesus. That ought to make you shudder. That ought to make us understand and realize that just a surface level common understanding of the theology of the person and work of Jesus Christ is not the same as believing he is the Christ. Believing Jesus is the Christ means we take these things and now we rearrange our lives in light of them. Christ now, because of the fullness of who John and the fullness of the Word of God reveals Him to be, because of His infinite greatness, now He is all. And instead of me being the center of my life or some person or something being the center of my life, now Christ is the center of my life. And I rearrange Everything, my thinking, my value systems, how I live, how I make decisions, what I do, who I model my life after. I rearrange everything around Jesus of Nazareth, who he is. John writes these things not so that we would believe these things about Jesus the same way that Satan and the demons do, but that we would believe he is the Christ and love him and his supremacy and live unto him with our last breath, to our last breath. And so John now, as we've launched into his gospel last week in chapter 1, he begins before he goes into helping us believe that Jesus is the Christ through the, the signs and through the sermons and through just the I am statements of Jesus, the, the Savior himself. He wants us to understand. He's going to be telling us a lot about Jesus. He wants us to understand, John writes, when I'm talking about Jesus, this is who I'm talking about. And that's what the first 18 verses of John's gospel are about. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, usually called the prologue of John's gospel. That's what these verses are about. Before we get into the seven signs and the seven sermons and the seven I am statements, John's writing again, those seven, representation of the fullness of all that Christ is. I want you to know this is who Christ is. And so he gives us the theology of Jesus before he gives us the life and ministry of Jesus. Let's look together at the text this morning. John chapter 1. I'll begin reading again in verse 1, though this morning our focus 
is verses 3 through 5. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. We could certainly go to any text and, and, and can preach messages about the person and work of Jesus Christ. But John's is unique. Not better, but unique in the way that you have authored him and, and led him and guided him to write so that we might believe Jesus is the Christ. Father, we come to you today and we ask that you would not allow us to be content and satisfied with a knowledge of Jesus that is on the same level or on the same trajectory as the, Satan himself, who knows all of these things about Jesus too. Where Satan falls short, Father, don't let us fall short. He doesn't live upon these truths and find in Jesus his all in all. And Father, we've seen from the book of Revelation in recent months that one of Satan's tactics is to do the same thing with us. To allow us to have just a general familiarity with Jesus but never get to the point that we live upon them and see him as the all in all. So Father, this day, help us. I pray for every young person who's in here today, every child who's right now growing up in a Christian home. They know the very things we're about to talk about in this word, but what where they don't know is living upon these and, and, and seeing the fullness of who Jesus is. Father, would you pour into their hearts the fullness of Jesus? I pray for the young adult here today who is struggling, who knows these very things, who could stand up here and teach the very things I'm about to preach from this text themselves because it's so familiar to us. But what's lacking is that we feel these things about Christ in our heart. And we see in Christ what John saw, that Christ is all. He is the Christ. And I would be a fool to live for anything other than Jesus. And I pray for every adult who's in here today. Father, who we have known these things, some of us, for decades. And yet still our hearts are cold and callous towards Jesus. Maybe we've drifted away from these things over time. Father, would you come send your spirit to do what only he can do and breathe life into our hearts. Bring life into the callousness of our hearts to help us to see Christ this morning with fresh eyes, the fullness of who He is, so that we would leave here today with a renewed fervor of living unto Jesus. Father, speak to us this day through Your Word. Speak to us. Show us Christ. Help us not to be content with hearing a message. We want to hear Your voice. We want to hear Your voice in our hearts and Your voice just as You spoke into creation. Let it be and it came to be. Speak Christ into our hearts that Christ would be all this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. One more song to sing. The echo of the prayer we just prayed. Speak, O Lord. We know John 1, 1 through 5. Some of us have it memorized.
but that's not the same as living upon it. Let's stand together. Let's earnestly ask the Lord to speak to our hearts in this text this day. Turn this morning to the passage we just read together, John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. The title of this morning's message is Jesus Christ, the Creator, the Life, and the Light. Jesus Christ, the Creator, the Life, and the Light. One of the things we've seen so far is John's writing as he's telling us the story of Jesus that we might believe, live upon, that Jesus is the Christ. He wants us to know who He knows this Christ to be. 
He doesn't want us having a shallow understanding of Jesus so that when we read the miracles and we read the sermons and we read the I am statements, we have a very surface level. One of the things we've said about John's gospel, and it goes back, it's a, an old, old quote about it, is that John's gospel is, is so wonderful that uh, a child can wade in it and understand it. And at the same time, an elephant could drown in it simultaneously. Now, for us this morning, as I look around this room, we don't want to be the child who can wade in at ankle deep. For most of us, that's where we've been. We want to be that elephant. And John ultimately wants us to be that elephant that goes down deep and, and not just knows the truth about who Christ is, but we feel it, the gravity of it. It so captivates and captures our souls that even as we go back out into a world, we must live in light of them because we've got nothing else as wonderful as this. And so John is, is taking time in these opening verses of John chapter 1 to tell us this is the person I'm referring to when I'm talking about Jesus Christ. He is the Word. It's one of the first things we saw last week. The Word. Why does he use that as an expression? Well, it's an Old Testament idea. But the word itself, we use words to express ideas. We use words to communicate, to reveal our thoughts, our emotions, our will, our decisions, things. We use words. Well, likewise, when it comes to God, Jesus is the perfect expression of who God is. God who is invisible. God who is unknowable apart from Him revealing Himself to us has revealed himself to us and has given us the most perfect expression of who he is. And it comes in a word, in person form, Jesus Christ. He, Jesus perfectly reveals God. All that Jesus is, his person, his teaching, his witness, his life, his death, his resurrection, everything that Jesus is reveals to us God. And that's why last week's message was entitled, Jesus is God. Because he reveals God to us. And we saw that in these opening verses, John is just laying out certain attributes of Jesus. This is the Jesus John knew. Number one, we saw this last week, he's eternal, right? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. Notice the verb that John uses. When the beginning began, Jesus was already there. Not he came into existence in John 1, uh, Genesis 1, 1. When the world began, Jesus already, what's the verb he used? Was. In the beginning, was the word. He was already there. Jesus' existence is always a given. When other things came into being, he was already there. There was never a time he didn't exist. Jesus is eternal. That's the first thing John wants us to understand about Jesus. No surface level understanding. He has always been. Number two, he tells us Jesus is united with the Father, but he's distinct. And that's what we read there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Verse 2 says, he was in the beginning with God. He's saying Jesus is God, but at the same time, he's distinct. And this kind of teeters into our understanding of the Trinity and the great mystery there. That Jesus is God, and yet at the same time, he's distinct from God. 
And the word there in verse 1, Jesus was with God. The, the, the Greek word there is he was toward God, meaning he was face to face with God. There's a relationship there between the Father and the Son. There was a union there that the Father and the Son enjoyed all throughout eternity, before anything was in existence, before Genesis 1-1, the Father and the Son eternally existed as one and yet at the same time distinct. There's an indescribable closeness between the Father and the Son, a fellowship there that is so deep, so rich, so wonderful, and yet in John's Gospel we're going to read in chapter 17, Jesus says his great desire is that we would experience that same fellowship with Him and with the Father that they had with each other before the world began. Let me ask you right now, how is your fellowship with Jesus Christ? We're reading here, Jesus eternally with God in fellowship, in union, a closeness, an intimacy, a oneness. They're distinct, but it's so close. I mean, they are, they're one. And Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross that they may have this same relationship with you and with me that we have with each other. John writes, this is what true uh, faith in Jesus looks like. That you have that kind of a relationship. How is yours this morning with him? How's your time in the word of God, which is where we come intimacy into closeness with Jesus Christ? Please do not be those who say, well, I feel closest to Jesus on the golf course or in the woods or on the river. Bull. The author of Hebrews writes, God has spoken in various ways and in various times, different methods. But these days he's spoken through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the word. And it's revealed right here. It is a cop out, a cop out. To say, well, I feel closest to Jesus in any place apart from your Bible. It is, an, it is a biblical impossibility. So how is it with you in the Word of God? How is your closeness with the eternal Word? Jesus is eternal. Jesus is united with the Father, yet distinct. And the third thing we saw last week, He is truly God. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Literally, the God was the Word. We just translate, we turn it around because it's easier for our understanding, but literally, God was the Word. They are the same being. When you look at Jesus, you are looking at God. So again, before John tells the story of Jesus through seven signs and seven sermons and seven I am statements of the Savior, this is the Jesus you've got to know him to be. Eternal, united with the Father, yet distinct, and truly God. Now that's just the first two verses. There's a wealth there we could literally spend days and weeks and months and years on those verses. But in verse 3, we continue on, and he gives us two more attributes of, God, God, of Jesus Christ, which will bring us to five. The three from verses 1 and 2, and two more here in verses uh, 3 through 5. So what are these other two attributes of Jesus? Number one. Jesus is the creator. So that's number one this morning. It's number four of our attributes of Jesus. Jesus is the creator. Verse three. 
All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So the verse teaches us two things right here. Verse 3, two things. Number one, Jesus is the Creator. And then secondly, He is not part of the creation. He is the Creator. But don't mistake thinking He's part of the creation. He is not. So let's think of those two things together. First, He is the Creator. Throughout the Old Testament, we are given verses that portray God as the Creator. And these are true. For instance, in Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or in Psalm 102, verse 25, Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands, O God. Or in Isaiah chapter 40, Have you not known, have you not heard, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Or just one more for good measure. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and who comes from it, who gives breath to the earth on it and spirit to those who walk in it. So throughout the Old Testament, we bump upon this biblical truth. God is the creator. And then we come to the New Testament. And it reveals to us something a little more clearly because we know that God in His fullness is a triune God. The New Testament clarifies that for it. It doesn't contradict it. It clarifies it. The New Testament reveals that it's the second person of the Trinity, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Son of God, who's here called the Word. Jesus has a very defined role within the Godhead. All of the Beings of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a very defined role in the Godhead. We saw this in the book of Revelation. We saw God the Father as the architect of the eternal gospel, right? We saw Christ, the second person, as the, uh, the one who executes the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit is the one who brings the work of the Father and the Son to bear upon a soul. Each a piece of the Godhead has a very distinctive role in the eternal gospel. And when it came to creation, the same thing was true. The Father, Son, and Spirit had a distinct role. We come to verse 3, which is speaking about Jesus Christ, the Word, and it tells us, all things were made through Him, through the Word. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes this, something very similar about Jesus. By Him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. Paul is there writing about Jesus. Or listen to the author of Hebrews chapter 1. I referenced it earlier. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed... Here, for a distinct role, he appointed for a distinct role the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Notice that verse 3, as well as the other two passages we read here, is saying that creation was made through him. Paul uses that same pronoun, excuse me, preposition. Paul uses that same preposition. The writer of Hebrews uses that same preposition. It was made not by him, but through him. 
And what this is telling us is that there are roles within the Godhead. One passage that shows this very clearly is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul writes, There's one God, the Father, from whom all things are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So one we exist for, the other one we exist through. What's the point there? There's a distinction. Same God in three persons, and each person has a very distinct role. The point is, when it came to creation, John wants us to, we got to feel this in our soul. All the beauty and the majesty and the fullness and the complexity of life that we see going on around us. Things we can explain and things we can't explain. Things that are so uh, searchable and unsearchable in the known and unknown universe that we just, we're just in awe of it all. John says, understand this. It all came from Jesus. Jesus was the creator. Jesus was the Father's agent. God is the creator, and the agency through which he created was Jesus Christ. So, the world was made, we can say it this way, by the Father, through Jesus Christ. All that is, John says, all the beauty and majesty and complexity fall on your face when you realize this. When God said in Genesis 1, let there be light, it was Jesus Christ who executed it, who brought light into existence. Jesus Christ, omnipotent in power, when there was nothing, he's the one who brought all that you see into existence. Now, it's important for us to understand and those of you who picked up J.C. Ryle's commentary on John, you may have noted, uh, I'm pulling this right out of J.C. Ryle. But it's important. Agency does not imply inferiority. What do I mean by that? The fact that Jesus was the Father's agent in creation does not make Jesus less than the Father. You with me there? The idea could be that Jesus is kind of the slave or the servant of the Father. So the father tells him what to do, and so the, the poor servant goes and does it. That is not who Jesus is. That contradicts what? Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we want to make very clear in our minds, John wants us to be very clear in our minds that what we're seeing here are just roles in the Trinity. Not one of one's more superior than the others. And this is a whole discussion when we get to the Holy Spirit, because where is he in our thinking? Right? We, he tends to be completely left out oftentimes. There are no first level, second level, third level. All are God. They just have distinct roles. I mean, it wasn't the Father who died on the cross, was it? It was the Son. That was his role. They each have distinct roles. And so what John is doing here is supporting the truth that he made that Jesus is God. Because when it came to creation... Only God can be the creator. Only God can take nothingness, zero, and speak into existence all that is, all the beauty and majesty. Only God can do that. Science, for all that we know here in our 21st century, cannot replicate this. Science cannot bring about life the way that we see in the opening chapter of Genesis. Only God can do that. 
And when, G, when John writes, oh, by the way, it's Jesus who is the creator, he's using that to supplement his point in verse 1. Jesus is God. Only God can do this. Well, Jesus did it. That means Jesus is God. Do you see that? You see the weight and the gravity that John is. That we haven't even gotten to anything he did in his earthly ministry. It is all about the gravity and the fullness of who Jesus is. And when it says all things were made through him in verse 3, all things means literally whole things. Paul writes in Colossians 1, through him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So everything, all things that Jesus created, everything you see on earth, everything in heaven, things you can't see. Things out in the unknown universe. Last night, Ryan was writing something to his mama, to the greatest mom in the known universe, you know, for his Mother's Day present, which I thought was sweet. And he asked the question, hmm, maybe I should have also put the unknown universe too. <laughs> you moms have a high standard to live up to. I mean, best mom in the known and unknown universe. But there is an unknown universe that even NASA is still exploring day by day. We're seeing it's further and more expansive than we ever imagined. And the whole point of that is Jesus did this. The power, the majesty of Jesus to do this. He did it all, things seen, things unseen, things on earth, things in heaven, all angelic powers. Throughout church history, there's been the ongoing question, well, if Jesus is the creator, if God created all things, did he create evil? Is he responsible for the evil in the world? Oh, we go back to Genesis 1. Jesus created all things good. He said it was good. It was the angel. It was Satan himself who chose to rebel. But the main point here is not to try to undermine Jesus as creator. It's to see only God can do the things that Jesus has done. Therefore, Jesus must be God. He's worthy. So the first half of verse 3 teaches he's the creator. All things were made through him. And then the second part of verse 3 takes the very same idea and states it negatively. And if you take him out of the equation without him, <laughs> there's nothing that is. Without him was not anything created that was made. That was made. What John is doing here in this second part is excluding the possibility that this idea could creep into your mind that Jesus is part of the creation. Verse 3 tells us Jesus is the creator, and the second part, that he is not part of that creation. If you read verse 3 by itself, all things were made through him, and just leave it open like that. If you stop right there, there is a line of thinking that you could begin to convince yourself that the Word created all things, the Father created all things, and therefore... Maybe because Jesus is distinct from the Father, maybe Jesus was created. Maybe Jesus was part of the created order. That is the thinking of Jehovah's Witnesses. You've ever sat to get down with a Jehovah's Witness at your doorstep on they're going to come to Genesis chapter 1 and they're going to make that point that Jesus was created by the Father. Muslims believe similar things. They don't believe Jesus is God. 
But you can go to verse 3, part 2, the second part here, and say, no, 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 because that's why this exists. If there is not Jesus, then nothing exists. He's not created. He is the creator. And without him is not anything that is. Do you see the point? He's trying to seal up any thinking that someone might kind of kind of fall down this slippery slope and say, well, maybe because of the distinction between the Father and the Son, the Son was created. You see how the second part of verse 3 answers that? Without him was not anything made that was made. The unique claim of Christianity is that Jesus is God, and that's what drives everybody batty. That's where the conflict comes. I would even go so far even within the Christian community among those who are seeking to return to a Christ-centered understanding of the gospel and a a Christ-shaped ministry and a Christ-shaped church. To those who may say with their lips, Jesus is God, but not believe it in their hearts. It sounds repetitious. It sounds shallow. It sounds... John wants us to have the conviction Jesus is God, and that now changes everything about Jesus and his preeminence. So when we look at verse 3, Jesus is the creator. Jesus made things. That's the first part of verse 3. The second half of verse uh, 3 says, you've got a category that says made things. The second part of the category says, and Jesus does not belong in that category of made things. Jesus is the creator himself. And therefore, you must conclude Jesus is God. Do you see now, it may sound this morning, you may be sitting there kind of shrugging your shoulders. Why, why are we still on this point? We get it. We agree. Throughout church history, this has been a slippery point. Within the very first century itself, there was a, a heresy called Arianism. Arian professed to be a Christian, just like every one of us. But his thinking on Jesus was not full. And though he said some right things about Jesus, Arianism led to an understanding that Jesus was not on par with God. And throughout church history, the church has constantly had to be returning the church back to a right understanding of Jesus, returning Jesus to that place of deity, that he is God. And that's why we have creeds throughout the church history. Like I referenced the Nicene Creed last week. Why did that come into existence? A lot of it was because of the Arian controversy. Because we need a statement, a declaration that declares Jesus is God. Why? Because what we've seen in Revelation during the church age, Satan is doing everything in his power for, to drift his Christ people away from Christ, away from loving him supremely, uh, making it sound like that's just that's overdoing it. You're staining it. You're, you're complicating the gospel. No, no, no. That is the gospel. If you don't love Jesus as God in the fullness of who he is, you're not a Christian. That has always been the gospel. That's why John is writing that you may believe he is the Christ and love him as such and walk with him as such. I would guess in this room most believe Jesus is God. That's not enough. We're not taking a test. We're not taking an exam. Do you have right thinking about Jesus? But we have to ask ourselves, am I living day after day after day as though Jesus is God? 
Am I living that? In my tongue, in my thinking, in my acting, in the way I respond to things. That I am not my own. That I am not my own God. That Jesus is not just a model for how to live. He is God and he has right to rule over my life. Do you know Jesus like that? Well, that's the first thing in this sermon. The fourth attribute we've looked at, Jesus is the creator, which leads us to the, to the next this morning, the second point of the message and the fifth of the attributes John gives us. Jesus is the giver of life and light. Jesus is the giver of life and light. Look at verse 4. In him was life. Who's the him? There's the word. We know that's Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Two key words here in verses 4 and 5. Two key words that John is going to use over and over and over in his gospel. So he wants us to be familiar with them now. Life and light. He uses the word life 36 times in this gospel. He uses the word light 23 times in this gospel. We're going to see these themes come up over and over and over again. And he wants us to see right off the bat that Jesus is the giver of both, both life and light. So let's look at these two things together. Number one, Jesus is the giver of life. Verse 4 says, in him was life. Now, let's not overcomplicate this. What we have here in verse 4 is simply the logical conclusion of verse 3. What did verse 3 tell us? He's the creator. All that came into being is because of him. So verse 4 is the logical conclusion. In him must be life. If he brought life into existence, then he must possess life in himself. And thus he does. And that is a staggering statement. Because though we live in a very proud world today that has a God complex itself, we struggle with that ourselves. Don't think, I mean, but even in science, there's a God complex of trying to replicate what only God can do. And science has done a phenomenal job through, through the generations of showing how life occurs. There's great graphs and pictures and uh, studies of reproduction of how a baby comes into the world. We can explain how life reproduces. We can't create life. We can't do that. There's only one who possesses life itself. And that's not you, that's not me. Friend, you can even, and we do this from time to time, put your hand over your beating heart right now. You're not doing that. You don't inherently possess life. Jesus is life. And if your heart beats, it's Jesus right now. Ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. And when Jesus removes that grace from that organ we call a heart, guess what that heart does? It stops. In Him is life. Oh, we're so proud, aren't we? 
We're so proud of ourselves and our health and our, the things we're trying to do. To, you know, I'm, I'm doing it. You're, we're doing nothing. Now, don't hear me saying, you know, we, we, we don't take care of what God has given to us. We're not trying to be good stewards of our body. Yes, absolutely. But make, make no mistake about it. We are not in control. He is the giver of life. He possesses life. And I think John is making this point, not just so that, though this is part of it, not just so that we acknowledge that Jesus is the giver of physical life, but what John is going to do, and we're going to get there, but we're going to go ahead and unfold it now. John is using this picture of Christ as the life giver, the physical life giver, to bridge to a broader point that pretty much the rest of the gospel is going to be consumed with. And it's this. Jesus not only is the life giver physically, he is the life giver spiritually. This is really what John's consumed with. Just as Christ the creator possesses life and gives life to your body, so too, we're going to see as early as John chapter 3, so too he's the giver of spiritual life. You see, the problem here is ever since Genesis chapter 3, Man is dead. Spiritually, man is dead. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God, sinned against Him, it spiraled the human race into spiritual death. That's what Paul writes about in Ephesians. We're all dead in sin and trespasses. And he goes on to write, but God. Why does he he have to go that route? Because we don't inherently possess even a flicker of life within us from which we can spark a flame that brings to spiritual life. Just as our physical life is not our own doing, our spiritual life is not our own doing. Life is given by Christ because in Him is life. John here uses the word for life that he uses. The word bios is the word usually for physical life in the New Testament. We get our word biology from it, the study of life. That's not the word he uses here. He uses another Greek word for life, zoe, which is the word for it encompasses both physical and spiritual life. So I'm not making a stretch here like, oh, no, this is, this is the word he chose. That this is both, he's the giver of physical life and spiritual life. When he writes in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting zoe. Not physical life. Spiritual life. Now I can argue both and, but the emphasis there is on the spiritual life. And so John's gospel focuses upon this Jesus that he knew was not just a remarkable man, a religious man, a spiritual man. He was the creator, and he was able to create because in him was life. And he possesses life. He's the life giver. What a great hope. Jesus says to Thomas in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by what? By how, what spiritual life you have? But by me. If you have spiritual life, I'm the life giver, Jesus says. 
What a great hope that is for you and I this morning. Our hope is not in us. Our hope is not in our works. Our hope is not in even our spiritual life and vitality. Now, we, we use that as a constant, you know, kind of tape, taking our temperature, making sure where am I in my walk with Jesus Christ, but my hope is in Jesus Christ. If I take the spiritual temperature of my spiritual walk and it's not where it needs to be, the answer is not, well, I'm going to work harder this week. The answer is flee from everything else and run to Jesus, to your Bible, to where Jesus reveals himself and to know him and to walk with him, trusting in him. Because Jesus possesses life, we have life. Because he lives, we can live. This in him is life really is a short way of saying, and it's going to become more full as we go, that Jesus gives salvation. He gives you physical life. But beloved, he gives you salvation too. He's the origin of spiritual life. And if you're here this morning and you just continually know, I know these things about Jesus, but I, I'm not a Christian. Cry out to him. Cry out to the life giver. He's the one who gives life. Jesus is the giver of life. And the second thing under this point, Jesus is the life and life, uh, light giver. Jesus is the giver of light, light. Verse 4 and 5, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The life giver is the light giver. That's not a play on words. That is intentional. Life and light are metaphors that often go together, right? When you come to the New Testament, we see darkness. It's a metaphor for usually spiritual death. Darkness, death, life and light. And we're going to see these contrasts over and over in John's gospel. But light is a metaphor for a couple different things. Intellectually, it's truth and revelation. Light equals truth. The truth of God, the truth of Christ, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. So on an intellectual level, there's light. But on a moral sense, light reflects purity and holiness. And again, going back to Genesis chapter 3, the human race, we said, was spiritually dead. But Genesis 3 in the New Testament fleshes this out for us. At Genesis 3, also, the human race was spiraled into darkness. Spiritual death and spiritual darkness. And the answer of God's covenant of grace there, of a one who's going to come and fix our problem, he's going to bring light and life. Do you see that? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And John is showing us that. He's writing these things so that we would believe this is the Messiah. And you would live upon him, not just for a moment, not just to get your, your, your ticket punched to heaven, because that doesn't work that way but that you would live your life upon him as the light. Genesis 3, man is dwelling in darkness. And John chapter 1, but light has come into the world. What are characteristics of light? Light is bright, it's radiant, it's brilliant. A sharp enough light 
It's blinding. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when the glory of Christ was unveiled for a moment, what happened to those three inner circle guys who were there? They were overcome by the, the brightness of it. Fall on your face before this idea of light. Don't just think, oh, that's interesting. Light, that's a good term. No, no, no. Everybody will agree with that on the surface anyway. As the light, he is the brilliance of the radiance of God. We know that light provides heat. Let me ask you this morning, and I hope you can answer in the affirmative, but if not, how is your affections for Jesus this morning? And again, the easy thing this morning is, it's kind of like on Mother's Day morning. Everybody loves their mother on Mother's Day morning, right? But how do you treat your mother through the week? Same thing. Everybody loves Jesus on a Sunday morning. How is it between your soul and Jesus day after day after day? Your time in His Word. The nearer you get to Jesus, just like the nearer you get to that fireplace, there's warmth. The nearer you get to Jesus, there's a warmth of affection. If, if you hear these messages about Jesus and you just walk out cold and callous, you're not near enough to Jesus. You may know more about Jesus than anybody in the room. It's your nearness to Jesus in His Word from which this kind of warmth and of affection that John talks about, that Jonathan Edwards talked about, that John Calvin talked about, that Martin Lloyd-Jones, that we try to talk about here, that we try to live out, it comes from your nearness to Jesus because He is the light. Another characteristic of light, it drives away the darkness. It drives away fear. When we're young, we're scared of the dark. Maybe some of us, we're old, we're scared of the dark. I want a light on. Even just a little night light, maybe. Which when the lights are on, you can't even see it. But when the lights go out, what happens? It's just enough. It drives away the darkness. That's what Jesus does. As the light, He drives away darkness. He drives away. Demons flee from Christ. Pigs go over the, the edge. Because he is the light. Light is dangerous to the touch. We live in a, a, a day today where we are so friendly with Jesus. And again, this is kind of hard for us to comprehend because it's so prominent. We've brought Jesus down. He's my best friend. That's not only disrespectful and dishonoring to Jesus, that is not the relationship we've been given with him. John is the perfect example for this. I think I referenced this last week, and if I didn't, then it's good for us to, be, uh, to hear it. If I did, we need to be reminded. John was probably Jesus' best friend on earth. John and Jesus, that's why this book is so significant. Nobody knew Jesus better than John. John had this intimacy of relationship with Jesus that nobody else knew. Yet who's also the one who wrote the book of Revelation? John, same guy. And when John saw his best friend, whom he knew intimately in the book of Revelation on the throne, how did John respond? Jesus, come here, buddy. It has been so long, man. we got to catch up. What did he do? No, he fell down on his face as though dead. 
Having a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean you lose the, 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 the wonder and the majesty of who he is. Nobody knew Jesus better than John, and yet he understood the reverence of Jesus. And that like at Mount Sinai, where God made himself known, you touch that mountain, you die. You get too close to Jesus, you die because he's holy. Now, he's given us access to himself by grace, but we never lose that sense of he is holy. You see, when he talks about he's the light, so many of these devotional books you have today, and if you have them, I have them too, almost portrays Jesus as being the person right here next to you. Well, he is near, but he is not like your best friend. He is God, and he's jealous for his glory. And verse 5 concludes this section about the light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light shines in the darkness. But who's winning? You got light versus dark. We're going to see this battle and over. Who's winning? A lot of times it does feel like the darkness is winning, doesn't it? In Jesus' own day, when the light of the world was here, it looked like darkness was winning. How about when Jesus was on the cross? Did it look like the light of the world not, the darkness was not overcoming it then? At that moment, it looked like darkness was kicking light's butt to the point of death until resurrection day. Darkness has its moments. We saw that in the book of Revelation, didn't we? In the church age, we're constantly battling the enemies of Christ, and at times it feels like the enemies are winning. Well, that's what the book of Revelation was about, wasn't it? Keep your eyes on your king on the throne who died, was raised again, ascended. He's, he's sovereign over all. Keep your eyes upon him. It changes everything. Not your circumstances. It changes your perspective on them. It may feel like the darkness into our physical eyes like the darkness is winning, but you keep your eyes on Jesus, the resurrected, enthroned, sovereign one. Darkness is a pawn in Jesus' hand. The nations that rage against Jesus, the world religions that rage against Jesus, Jesus is using as a pawn to accomplish his purposes. He is the light, and the darkness has not overcome it, will not overcome it, cannot overcome it. The darkness cannot seize it. Light always overtakes darkness, doesn't it? So it is with Jesus. And that's our hope this morning. Our hope, our faith, is in Jesus Christ. He is the life giver. He is the light giver. He is the creator. What magnificent truths. Now, we can be like that child who wades ankle deep into these truths, and we can walk out of here. Got it. He's the creator. Life giver, light giver. Got it. Good. And all that's true. But John's writing that we would be like the elephant who drowns in these truths. And we leave here today praying, asking God, help me to better understand these things, to live upon these things, to see Christ in this way. I have so brought Christ down to my level, even though I've known these things. There's nothing new that's been taught today. Not a thing new. But maybe I haven't lived upon them and given Christ the honor that he's worthy of and lived upon him as God. 
If you're here this morning and you're a sinner, won't you repent of anything that's not Jesus and run to this one who is eternal, who is united with God yet distinct, who is God Himself, who is the Creator of all things, who is the life giver, who is the light giver? What else in the world are you going to give yourself to? What, what, what person, what job, what entity in life can do the things and be what Jesus is? Absolutely nothing. And if you find in your soul you hear me say those words and they go in one ear and out the other and don't resonate, fall on your knees and cry out to Christ. It's true, but my heart won't believe it. Help me, life giver. Help me, light giver. Give me life. Give me light. I'm living in darkness. My eyes are in blindness. Help me to see. And if you're a believer here this morning, don't just tick off the box. You got your theology of Jesus right. Where in your life are you needing this revelation of Jesus? Turning from your darkness. Turning from your spiritual deadness and looking to Jesus. Jesus. He's not only God, but in this sermon we see, and we're just continuing on through it, Jesus Christ. He's the creator of life and the life.